Hey guys, how are we getting on? Welcome back to the JCC podcast for episode number six. And today we're joined by Nick Lamb, also known as the online sleep coach. And Nick has an abundance of experience in the health and fitness industry, transitioning from a one-to-one PT to a strength conditioning coach, all the way to um, the online sleep coach now. And he drops a lot of information in this, which is fantastic and exactly why we wanted to get him on the podcast, not only for myself, but for all you guys as well. And hopefully you guys enjoy the podcast. Please let me know what you guys think and uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Hey guys, how are we getting on? Welcome back to the JCC podcast for episode number six. And today we have a guest in and the topic that we're going to talk about is sleep optimization. So we have Nick Lam on, who's the, the online sleep coach. So I think he knows one or two things about sleep himself. Uh, how are you today, Nick? I'm, uh, I'm great. I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. And you're calling from, um, from Florida? Yep, from Southwest Florida. Yeah, a little bit different time zones uh, at the moment, like we were just talking about off air in terms of me being 10 p.m. And it's a bit ironic the way that we're going to be talking about sleep and sleep hygiene. And I have the uh, 10 p.m. here and 8 a.m. there. But listen, it is what it is and has to be done. But um, just wanted to get a little bit of insight as to um, just a little bit about yourself. Um, and the main thing really as kind of your education, your experience, but how does one actually become a sleep coach? How did, how did you get into that? I'm actually intrigued myself to find that out. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a, I've been a coach in the industry for a little over a decade. Um, started off, you know, the traditional route, working as a strength and conditioning coach, working in big box gyms and just trying to get exposure, working with as many people as possible. Um, done a continuing, a ton of continuing education um, over the years and tried to you know, kind of figure out what my niche would be and kind of what route I would go. Um, I've spent the majority of my career actually working in the rehabilitative setting. So originally the plan was to go to physical therapy school, um, decided against that, but still spent a lot of time working in rehabilitative clinics, you know, integrated PT and wellness clinics um, in a post-rehabilitative setting. And, you know, that's the start of where the fascination around sleep really started um, was really just becoming fascinated with what predisposed someone to injury versus someone else and what impacted their recovery times, especially for individuals who were doing the same modalities, you know, but getting very, very different uh, and drastic differences in their outcomes, right? And uh, sleep was just something that came up time and time again, um, started to dive into it a bit more. I also had a lot of clients of mine that were dealing with sleep issues at the time and really just became fascinated, started to take a deep dive and then I think what fascinated me even more and where my, my point of emphasis right now is how little attention it was getting in the actual coaching world, right? So, you know, we've seen a lot more information on sleep. We've seen a lot more products around sleep in the last couple of years. But when we talk about actually being concretely in our coaching process and how we approach it, you know, there was really a lack of that, right? A lack of system. Um, but in, you know, in regards to getting into being a sleep coach, it was something that really just happened by accident. It wasn't the kind of thing where I set out like, you know, I'm going to become a sleep coach and this is, you know, this is my determined career path. It just, it just kind of happened. It kind of happened by accident. And, you know, it, it started organically where I was just doing a little bit of one-on-one sleep coaching for some of my existing clients, um, at the clinic that I was working at at the time, eventually it grew into a separate service. I took it online, started doing some consultations online and, you know, things just really grew and evolved from there. Cool. That's really interesting. And I actually never knew that you were in the, the PT realm before at all. How long did you, did you work as a coach before you got into kind of clinical practice and what you're doing at the moment? 
Um, I mean, I work, I went the, like I said, big box gym route, uh, mm. for probably three, four years, you know, much, much like a lot of coaches get their start really just trying to get, you know, work with as many, many different types of people as possible. Um, so pretty much after the first three or four years took a, a pivot and shift. And like I said, really the plan was to go to physical therapy school. So, you know, I was working as a trainer in a, in a variety of different PT clinics. Um, most notably before I moved down to Florida, I was working in a clinic in Connecticut, uh, for about three and a half years. It was an integrated PT and wellness clinic, which was really, really great. It was a really great collaborative sure. environment. So, you know, having physical therapists, trainers, massage therapists, nutritionists, all under the same roof, and, and even orthopedic surgeons that were in our network that we communicated with often. And so, you know, for, for me too, a lot of, you know, the sleep and sleep and recovery coaching, for me, it ties into this kind of overall concept that I'm really passionate about, which is coaches really just embracing this role of being healthcare practitioners, right? We obviously get way more contacts with people. We get way more opportunities to influence long-term health. And so, you know, all the steps that coaches can take to really position themselves as healthcare practitioners, I think is absolutely paramount, right? So, you know, sleep and recovery and embracing that into their process is a big, a big, big component of that. And then of course, how they collaborate with and communicate with other professionals as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I think you, you nailed it on the head there. And I think for a lot of, of coaches and PTs who are listening to this and for myself, sleep was the last thing that I really ever cared about. It was just train, eat, train, eat, train, eat, doesn't matter. And it's almost this kind of um, thought process of, I think in, in today's society, it's, it's like um, if you grind, grind workout until one or two in the morning and you're only getting four hours sleep, you almost, you walk into the office and get a kind of a pat on the back or you looked at that kind of um, a person who's doing something optimally there when, when we really scale things back and what we're going to talk about today, I think will open up a few maybe coaches and people's eyes to how we really need to nail down these factors to, to live life optimally from a health and wellbeing perspective as well. Because from a, I've been talking to many a client about this recently, about nailing down the fundamentals first to allow ourselves the greatest opportunity to, um, to perform, recover, build muscle tissue, lose body fat, and, and the foundation to that is sleep. Um, sure. Yeah, so if you'd like to try and just give some sort of, I know it's quite difficult too, but what is sleep? What, what happens when, when we sleep and, and why exactly do we need it? And then maybe don't, jumping into kind of the percentages of, of an optimal deep uh, REM and then light sleep, maybe defining those as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of things to unpack there. And, you know, you know, taking a step back and kind of talking about like misconceptions too, I think, I think in a way, obviously that mentality of, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead and being rewarded for, for, you know, not prioritizing sleep is a component of it. But I think, you know, if we look at within our industry too, and, you know, how we talk about it with clients and how we address it with clients, I think we've oversimplified sleep. And, you know, sometimes sleep can be simple, right? It can be, you know, you get it or you don't. But in a lot of instances, we've kind of oversimplified it, right? Where we're looking at just sleep duration and effort as really being the only key metrics, right? Did you get your seven hours or eight hours? And if you didn't, prioritize it a bit more, right? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And there's so many other things that factor into, you know, the right quality of sleep, the right regularity of your sleep. And there's just so many things. So I think a lot of times when we talk about how we've approached it in the industry, you know, that's really what's lacking is those systems and principles and the understanding of all the other variables, right? We've over oversimplified it a little bit, um, you know, into what is sleep, you know, again, there's a lot of different routes we could go here. 
I think the traditional thinking and misconception around sleep is that it's just this time of rest, you know, and to a certain, certain degree it is, but the reality is that every single physiological system is very active during sleep and it's crucial, right? So sleep is going to impact every single physiological system of your body and have a design purpose, right? And if we're not getting the right quality or duration of sleep, we're going to see those physiological systems impacted in some way, shape or form, right? And, you know, one of the things that scientists tried to do for many, many years around sleep was try to propose one theory as to why is it that we sleep? Why is it that mother nature kept around this activity where we're spending a third of our lives essentially unconscious, right? Unable to reproduce, unable to find food, right? It wouldn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, what is that one theory? And the reality is that there is not one theory because of the fact that it's just, it's the way that our body has designed to really have every single system of the body be repaired and enhanced, right? So there's not one proposed theory where we could say, you know, it's a recuperation period or a rest period, or it's, um, you know, dealing with mental fatigue that builds up or it's, it's all of those things, right? So there's not one actual reason why we sleep. It's for a variety of different reasons, right? And, you know, we can see short changing sleep impact individuals in a variety of different ways, right? And it, 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 the big thing is that it impacts everyone a little bit differently. So it impacts different physiological systems, of course, different person to person. Um, you know, I think you mentioned, uh, also in that question, you mentioned asking about, you know, percentages of, of, you know, deep sleep versus REM sleep. And, you know, this is, this is sometimes where I think we get lost in the weeds, you know, so I think, like I said, the first problem is that people focus too much on sleep duration, right? They view sleep, especially if they're not using any form of sleep tracker or anything like that, they view sleep in terms of sleep duration. So if I asked you, you know, Hey, Josh, are you a, are you a healthy sleeper? Right. You would usually give an answer in the context of sleep duration. You might say, I sleep eight hours. So I'm a, I'm a healthy sleeper. Or you might say, I only sleep five hours. So I'm not a healthy sleeper. We're really losing out on a lot of the other pillars of what makes up healthy sleep. And when you place too much emphasis on sleep duration, it places a lot of stress and anxiety around the the desire to try and get that. And the reality is that not everybody needs exactly eight hours. Right. And when we put too much pressure there, it can really perpetuate a lot of sleep issues. So, you know, if we break down what the other pillars of healthy sleep are, duration is, of course, one of them. But we also have quality and depth. We have regularity, right, pointing to circadian rhythm health. And then we have continuity, right? How succinctly do you go through the stages of sleep throughout the night without any interruption? Um, When we talk about the stages of sleep and we're talking about quality and depth, right, how much time do you spend in these stages? You know, a lot of the times we're getting information from sleep trackers. And I know we, we, you wanted to talk about sleep trackers and we'll, we'll unpack that as well. But the reality is when we get into really, really distinguishing between how much time you're spending in these stages, most sleep trackers are just not going to do a great job at this. And, you know, I typically discourage individuals from putting too much emphasis on that because it's, hmm. it's, it's just not the whole story. And you don't want to be basing all your decision-making and all your thoughts around sleep around these numbers. Because if these numbers are incorrect, again, what we'll find time and time again is people's perceptions around their sleep are very, very important. How they perceive their sleep situation is what drives everything else because sleep is unlike exercise and nutrition. You can't will yourself to better sleep, right? So if there's negative perceptions that you have around 
the eight hour myth, like I mentioned, or around trying to achieve these arbitrary numbers or percentages of deep sleep or REM sleep that may not even be accurate. They're really going to have a hard time being a healthy sleeper because you have these, these thought processes that are, you're constantly trying to, to fight against. So, you know, I never recommend like aiming for any specific percentages in terms of REM sleep or deep sleep. Um, I think when you talk about quality, there's a lot of subjective measures and a lot of things that we can look at that will give you a pretty good indication of how your sleep quality is, right? Are you waking up feeling rested, especially after the first hour or two of the day, that sleep inertia that exists? You know, are you relying on caffeine? What's your energy like during the day? What's your ability to focus, your mood, your reactivity? And, you know, and you can tailor these things based on what's important to you and what you want to improve in your life. But I think a combination of those things will really give you a good idea of sleep quality, you know, without having to place too much emphasis on, you know, I got 20% 20 of REM sleep versus, you know, 15%. Yeah, I think think you absolutely nailed that on the head there. And something that I've been, um, a post I put up there only the other day, um, talking to about... um, did you lose me there? Or is that okay? Yeah, you, fro- you froze for a, a quick second. So Yeah, no worries. I'll say that again. Um, so something I put up the other day um, about a post was about sleep trackers and, and just getting lost in the numbers. I think that mm-hmm. that additional stress, anxiety from just chasing efficiency, duration, and it will almost potentially, you wake up, and I'm sure you say yourself, you know yourself, sometimes I wake up and it te- I've had an awful night's sleep, but it will tell me that I've got a 92% efficiency and a deep sleep, whatever. And then vice versa, when I've had a, a really good night's sleep and says I only slept six hours or something, and then it's, it's, you're kind of lost in the process. And then I think that a lot of people will get too hung up on, that will guide their day for them then. Do you know, if I wake up and, and I, I actually feel really good, but I look down at the number and then I say, oh, you know what, my recovery score is really low, so I shouldn't train. So I think exactly. tr- trying to have that, that kind of mix, I think we're going to talk about that at, I had planned to talk about that at the end, but I think that you've covered that topic there. I think both are important, um, but what, what you're trying to say here, I think, is that mainly the subjective or, or big blend of the two. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, I, absolutely. And of course, just like anything, it's dependent on the person, right? It, it's case yeah. by case. And, you know, if you're talking about yourself as an individual or if it's a, a coach or you're listening, you know, and you're talking about your clients, you have to know what your personality is or what the personality of your client is. And and a lot of individuals are just not well motivated by data, right? And especially in the context of sleep, as you mentioned, it just promotes more stress and anxiety. It creates this like buildup and response and this situation around sleep that you really don't want. And, you know, typically in my coaching process, if it's someone who I'm working with, especially if they've been struggling with sleep for a while, I typically am not using sleep trackers in my process, at least not at the onset. Um, you know, of course, I'll mention there is some individuals who do perfectly fine with having sleep trackers, and they're actually motivated by data, right? They're actually motivated by having these numbers. It incentivizes them to do more and put in more of the, you know, the right prerequisite work. And so, you know, that's perfectly fine. But I think for those who are really struggling, and maybe the the more of the majority, I think sleep trackers could be should be something that we're really mindful of, especially also back to those perceptions in reality, right? If you're talking about through the lens of coaching, often I'm, a big part of my coaching process is restructuring what people believe or what they think is true, right? Somebody may have a, a misconception or perception around their sleep, and we almost put those thoughts on trial, right? Yeah. Is there any evidence that shows that this is actually the case? And even more importantly, is there some evidence that shows that's not the case, 
Like if we take that eight hour myth, for example, right? I can point to plenty of evidence and I can show people evidence that tells them they can function perfectly fine even if they don't get eight hours. And that's just not, that's just not the case that they need that eight hours all the time, every single night. Right. And so, um, with having sleep trackers, like you mentioned, when there's that number, I can't change the perception, right? No matter what I tell them, no matter how we try and restructure it and no matter how they feel, even if they feel great, they're going to focus on that number. We have a negativity bias. And so they focus on that number and there's really nothing that I can do as a coach to change that number. So, um, not to, you know, look down on sleep trackers altogether. There's often times that I use them. And I think what they have done is promote a lot of great awareness. They've gotten more people talking about sleep. They've gotten people more prioritizing their sleep and thinking about it. Even in instances where they're inaccurate, they're consistently inaccurate. So you can still pick up contextual information, right? Where how eating late or alcohol or, you know, late caffeine or any of these variables might impact or potentially impact your sleep. So I think in those instances, it's still, you know, still beneficial, but if we're really putting the coaching hat on, it's just something we need to be mindful of. Yeah. I think it's that, that individual dependent kind of thing. And that's the answer to every single coaching question on the planet. It depends. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Literally every single question. And one thing I did say in the post was that, um, if it is causing us stress and anxiety, and I want to reiterate this point, if it is causing us and we, we're getting up stressed or we're going to bed stressed about the number that's going to say, put it, throw it in the bin, throw it in the bin or put it in a locked box away from you for as long as you can. Because if you can get away from it for a little bit of time and then start to feel um, uh, subjectively much better, then we're going to be in a much better place. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, like I'm sure we'll talk about and when you, when you look at chronic sleep issues, obviously there's a lot of different reasons why sleep issues occur and you know why sometimes acute issues and the onset of a sleep issue occurs but oftentimes we're really battling the chronic aspect and we're trying to prevent one or two or even a week or multiple weeks of poor sleep from turning into a chronic cycle that we get stuck into and you know in that instance you know sleep trackers can really perpetuate that it's just anything that creates this stress and anxiety response around sleep gets you stuck in a poor cycle that can be difficult to, to pull yourself out of. Right. So that's really the, the biggest thing. Cause like I said, it's, it's not willpower. And once you get into that cycle, the harder you try and the more you're thinking about it, the, the worse you're, the worse off you are. Mm. And I think that kind of leads us into the next part. I think it, the, the kind of evolution of sleep, I'd love you to, to touch on over the last little while. And when we talk about stress and sympathetic dominance and nervous system, all these things are going to be obviously a negative effect towards sleep. So do you feel, I always remember this stat, it'll always stay with me. It was from um, Ben Bukulski and he, he's, a, he's a coach. I don't know if you know him, uh, Ben, ben Bukulski. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I went to a seminar with him a couple of months back and he, he told us this stat and he was t- breaking down nervous system, the autonomic nervous system. And talked about the fact that our our kind of our um, we've ever uh, um, what's the word I'm trying to say we've evolved as humans about a hundred years ago we used to have an average of about five or six breaths per minute but now we're averaging something like twelve fifteen even plus and even higher only, in some instances yeah yeah the the only cha- thing that has changed is, is environment so all these screens and all these things telling us and. Um, the mental aspect and more anxiety in the world is going to cause us that that kind of negative response towards sleep and all these things that are going to be sympathetically driven. 
Is there anything that you've kind of found or have you dug into or, or really researched the evolution of sleep over the last little while that you'd like to share? Yeah. I mean, if we look at, you know, say over the last 40, 50 years plus and, and what's changed in terms of, of sleep, it's, it's a lot of things, right? So there's, there's more autonomic imbalance, right? We've become more stressed and we've become worse at dealing with stress. We just have more stress around. And so, you know, one of the big things in my coaching process is of course, and one of my buckets to fill is autonomic balance. And that's, you know, that's a big component. Um, the next is if we look at one of the key governing mechanisms to sleep and also to overall health, which really gets left out a lot is circadian timing. And yeah. if we look at circadian timing and for anyone who doesn't know, it's essentially the idea that there are these internal relatively 24 hour clocks, every single cell in your body, every single physiological process operates on these clocks and on these preferred rhythms. And they, even though there's a genetic component, they basically coincide with variables of the environment, right? The big things being light and darkness, when we eat, when we exercise, and of course, when we sleep, right? And these are all things and temperature as well. And these are all things that influence those circadian rhythm clocks. And so if we look at the typical environment and all those variables, say, you know, 40, 50, or even 100 years ago, you know, we look at individuals were getting more light, right? They were having a longer window within which to sleep. Their eating windows were condensed down right now. We're, we're having these eating windows of 16 hours, pretty much for every second that your eyes are awake, you have the opportunity to eat. Um, individuals are not as active and they're active at inconsistent times. And so from a circadian perspective, we're in a complete mismatch, right? We're doing the exact opposite of we're in thermostat controlled environments all day. You know, our, we're getting artificial light at night. We're not getting daylight during the day. All of these things that we've heard time and time again, but you know, we have to really look at the big picture of this where, you know, there's a lot of individuals, you know, within the scientific community who will who will make the claim that circadian mismatch is the, the tying link with all chronic disease and the prevalence of all chronic disease. I'm not necessarily on that bandwagon. I think it's multifaceted and there's a lot of things there, but it's not just sleep, right? It's not just the impact that it has on sleep. It's the, once you impact these clocks, you impact all of those physiological and cellular processes that operate on that clock as well, right? So we can see how throwing those things off would not only impact our ability to sleep, but also our impact on being just overall healthy, right? So I think that's another big, big thing that has really impacted sleep. There's definitely, as we mentioned, kind of at the onset, there's been this evolution, especially within the corporate space of, you know, deprioritizing sleep and rewarding not getting sleep, right? The I'll sleep when I'm dead mentality. Um, you know, people like Donald Trump and all these people that can claim to get by on less sleep and very minimal sleep kind of touting and bragging that they can get by on less sleep. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm fighting against as well, and we're fighting against as coaches, is when I went back to those perceptions and misconceptions, as like a lot of things in the industry, there's just information overload, right? And because so many people are thinking about sleep now, and so many people are writing about it and talking about it, there's just so much information. And there's so many things for people to think about. And there's no real context or individuality or hierarchy. It's just here's some information, right? And it's just throwing out a lot of information and it, it really perpetuates people's thought process, right? When they see these things that, you know, that may be a quote from Dr. Matthew Walker, who don't get me wrong is great. And he's done a lot of great work, but when he goes out on, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast and says something like, 
you know, if you only get five hours of sleep, you have the testosterone of someone 10 or 20 years older, that sticks with someone, right? And when they're thinking about those things, you can, you can see how all of those things would impact their sleep. And when they, those things become their new reality, it's just very difficult to break out of that cycle because behavior is the most important, of course. So, um, you know, I think it's really a combination of all of those things um, that are really contributing to individuals just not getting the best possible you know, quality of sleep. Yeah, I think main thing as well there that we talked about is is just trying to keep circadian rhythm in a good place. And something I'll, I'll tell and any clients that who are listening to this right now, and I'm sure there are a few, um, who when I ask them every single week, did they get first thing AM daylight exposure? This is why we're trying to do it, and we're trying to improve our circadian rhythm and tell the body when when it's light, when it's day, when it's time to wake up, and get all our physiological responses aligned aligned with that. So I think that that's a very, very important uh, point that you know, noted there for sure. So in terms of sleep deprivation, um, I think we kind of touched on a little bit there, but just kind of to, to touch on um, the negative effects that it has. And in terms of what, what um, the listeners will be and, and what this podcast is about, it's muscle and mindset. So from a kind of a cognitive performance um, perspective and from like an athletic performance perspective, what are the kind of the the negative effects that, that surround these and, and what are the kind of the main causes? Yeah. So I, you know, the, the, the big thing here first is a caveat and it kind of builds off of what I was just saying kind of with Matthew yeah. Walker and a lot of the sleep research is I've really, when I first started in the sleep space, so to speak, I would really focus on a lot of the statistics and really a lot of the negative things that happen when you don't sleep, a lot of the aspects of sleep deprivation. And when I actually got into the trenches of coaching people, I found that these things were really contributing a lot to issues because those mindsets and behave and perceptions and habits and emotions that people have around sleep are really what are what driving or what's driving the issue. So, you know, any presentations I've given and talks I've given, I've really changed and evolved where I, I don't tend to focus so much on the negative things out of sleep. Right. Because in, in the reality too, is a lot of people have heard these things enough and, you know, a lot of times it's, it's either perpetuating that negative thought process or it's just not even motivating them enough, right? If people were motivated by fear, you and I would probably be out of a job as coaches, right? We wouldn't really be working with people because they would just be motivated to make a lot of these changes on their, um, on their own. And so, you know, a lot of times I focus more on the positive aspects of sleep, the, the areas of your life that it can enhance when you improve it, right? And it's more yeah, so the that. things that you you experience on a day-to-day basis. And of course that will build to long-term success in terms of decreased chronic disease risk and, you know, overall metabolic health and body composition and all these things that we know impact sleep in the long-term. But when we look at, you know, just trying to improve the things that you experience on a day-to-day basis, and it's pretty much every facet of cognitive health and emotional health that we know are going to be impacted by sleep on a day-to-day basis, right? So your, you know, your ability to focus, your ability to you know, uh, regulate your mood, your ability to have good energy throughout the day, um, how impulsive you are, and this is a big thing, like how reactive you are with the people that you care about. Um, so you know, and from a physical performance standpoint, time to fatigue and, cap- and aerobic capacity, strength and power output, um, pretty much any facet of physical or mental performance we can see impacted by sleep on a day-to-day basis. So you know. I think a key takeaway is to not focus so much on the negative of what might not, of what might happen if you don't get sleep and just pick some of those things, whether it's mental or physical performance that you want to see improve in your life, 
try to make a few structured changes around your sleep and watch those things improve, right? Subjectively or objectively track those things and watch them improve. And I find that that really builds good traction and success moving forward. It motivates you <clears throat> to want to do more and improve more moving forward. That's actually right. such a nice way to, to think about it. I've actually never heard anyone talk about sleep like that. And I, I almost like shocked at myself for talking about it in such a negative light. And something that I, I'll always, um, always talk about is trying to pull the positives out of the situation, trying to pull, put everything into, into a positive light rather than talking about sleep does this, that, and the other. If we don't get it, flipping it on its head and looking at what it can do and the enhancements it can make. I've actually... Uh, that that was one thing that it almost bogs you down a little bit I, i'm sure you've read the matthew walker why, why we sleep great book really eye-opening um but it, it is a lot of like always negative like you cannot perform at the highest ability it's this that and the other what what did you make of the book out of curiosity yeah i mean look don't don't get me wrong i i think Dr. Matthew Walker and that book and all the appearances that he's done, that he's had have done a tremendous job because they've gotten so many more people and even coaches and practitioners aware of sleep. I can't tell you how many coaches have come in and done my course or come to a workshop, you know, and I ask, you know, what got you interested in sleep or what made you think more about sleep? And that was the, that was the reason, right? That book was the reason, but I think it's important to note what Dr. Matthew Walker does. He's a researcher, right? And his job is to conduct research and now to promote awareness around that research, right? And so, you know, he's getting funding for other research. He gets, you know, all these appearances. And, and so it's just a different, it's a different goal. His goal is to promote global awareness around sleep and get more people talking about it, even if it's in a negative light. But he's not in the trenches coaching someone. So he doesn't deal yeah. with the backlash of what might come out of some of the things that he's talking about. And that's, that's perfectly fine. That's just not his, that's not his area of expertise. And so while the book, you know, is certainly insightful, you know, I would say if you're someone who's listening, you know, if you're not a coach and you've struggled with sleep in any capacity, I wouldn't recommend it. I would not recommend getting the book, even if you're interested in sleep. I think there's other other routes of, of being interested. Even if you are a coach, if you're someone who has struggled with sleep in the past or, you know, worries about sleep in any capacity, I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Right. I think for a coach or practitioner, if you want something else that reiterates and reemphasizes just how important this is and how it impacts your clients and the goals that they have, I think that's perfectly fine, but you just got to, you know, take it with a grain of salt. And, you know, there's a lot, there's been a lot of people who have come after his research a bit too. And it's a bit skewed sometimes, right? Because again, he's, his goal is to promote awareness. And so, you know, people will say that the numbers are a bit skewed and the statistics can be a little off. You know, I think one thing that's important to note too, is a lot of the, the studies that he references are almost complete sleep deprivation or, you know, pretty significant sleep deprivation that most individuals are not experienced on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Like most individuals are not going an entire night without getting sleep or not getting three or four hours of sleep. They're, they're getting more than that and they're getting better than they think. Um, so, you know, some of the studies where it's, you know, five or six hours, you know, obviously that's a little bit more relevant, but a lot of the studies where it's like complete sleep deprivation, you know, we can't read too much into, Relevance, into yeah. that because that's not really the situation that most people are in. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. I never really thought about it like that actually. And only after we've said it, it was a very, 
Yeah, it's almost like a, just a, a book of, of taking the negatives out of things, which is in somewhat not really nice to read, actually, to be, to be brutally honest. And I've only kind of thought about it now. Um, in terms of the study, so I did pick, uh, pick a study. There was a couple that I could have taken from, but I thought this was quite a nice one. And just to give the readers some sort of positive uh, impact that sleep can have. Mm. Um, so there was a 2011 study, and you might have read this yourself, by Cherry Manal et al. even, um, on collegiate, bas- collegiate excuse me, basketball players. Mm-hmm. So the scenario was two to four weeks, so a kind of a, a comparison study. The first two or one to four weeks was of natural sleep in the seven to nine hour bracket. The second uh, five to seven weeks post that are going to have 10 hours minimum sleep opportunity in bed. Now, it wasn't specified exactly how they controlled that, were people on their phones in bed, etc. But pretty much to break it down that they, the average increase was 110 minutes plus or, not, plus or minus 79 or 80 minutes. So potential for another additional three hours, probably two to three hours sleep. Um, increase in the five to in the five to seven weeks post, and by doing so, we saw a athletic performance improvement in eighty-five meter sprint time from sixteen point two seconds to fifteen point five seven. So that's zero point seven seconds increase, which is huge in sprint time. Might not sound massive to everyone, but it no, is. That's, big. that's everything, yeah. <laughs> and that's four point five percent increase. The free throw percentage out of ten throws increased by nine percent, and then the three point attempts of 15 shots or three point attempts of 15 shots increased by 9.2%. And then the bio or the kind of the, um, the biofeedback or those kind of points that you talked about um, fatigue reduction in fatigue, bigger anger, sleepiness um, mood disturbance, depression, confusion, and tension all had a P value of under zero or under 0.01, which is the highest statistical significance that we can actually get. So if we, we pull that back and imagine that we walked in and we can increase our, if we talk about, and something I talk about is accuracy and intensity in the lift and having that, we, if without exercise execution or accuracy, we're, we have nothing, but without the intensity that we bring to that, we also can't create a, a sufficient stimulus. So if we look back at the, the free throw percentage and the three-pointer percentage increase by 9%, we look at a huge improvement accuracy there. But then also from an intensity standpoint, we seek 85 meter sprint improved by 0.7 seconds. That's also an intensity improvement. So if we take a, let's say a bench press at hundred kilos and we're, we're to simply improve our, our sleep. I know we talked about it's, it's a lot more than just sleep duration. And I, I want everyone to, to understand this, but potential um, opportunity to sleep a little bit more, a 9% increase in accuracy and 4.5% on that hundred kilo bench press to 105 kilos that's rounded up is a huge improvement by just simply looking after one simple, not, I wouldn't call it, I'm going to uh, take that back. It's definitely not a simple variable and you're laughing at me as I say it. It's definitely not a simple variable, but by simply looking at that, and again, the, the study wasn't uh, too specific at, at what, what, it, what it ran with, but by improving the sleep opportunity, um, we can also improve accuracy and intensity, which was cool, to, cool, cool study to see. Yeah. And I think that's a, you know, definitely a good example. Um, you know, I think one thing that I'll say as a, as a caveat, just for like the, you know, the general population listener, or just, you know, even a coach that works with that population, it's important to note that a couple things, firstly, more is not always better. Right. And when you look at that population, you know, when I, when I go back to the sleep duration and the fact that it's so individualized person to person and not everybody needs the exact amount, 
It's also based on the demands that you're placing on your, on your physiology, right? The demands of what you do. And for collegiate athlete and professional athletes, a lot of them tout and, you know, will will sleep nine, 10, 11 hours. And that's because of the increased recovery need that they have. And so a lot of times increasing to that point is necessary to meet the demands of what they do. And right. And that's why you see those improvements for the average person. You know, I, I find that that type of duration is often, you know, too high. Yeah. Um, and it's just really important to note that, you know, more is not always better because everyone's need is going to be a little bit different. And, you know, back to that idea of sleep efficiency, where, you know, you said those athletes were in bed for, for 10 hours. And I imagine because they had that increased recovery need, they were probably sleeping a good amount of those, of those 10 hours, right? Their sleep efficiency was pretty high. And for anyone who doesn't know what sleep efficiency is, it's the percentage of time that you're asleep relative to being in bed. But it's really, really important to note this. If you're aiming to get more sleep duration, which is perfectly fine goal, and, and especially if you're only getting five or six hours, you should be aiming to get higher. But let's say you're in that situation where you're only getting five or six hours and now you create an eight-hour window, right? You, you, we know eight hours is a pretty good target. And so you say, I'm going to give myself an eight-hour window. But over the course of a week or two weeks, you're only sleeping six and a half hours of those eight hours that you're in bed. That's a very poor sleep efficiency. And the last thing we want is for your bed to become a place of wakefulness in any capacity because yeah. that perpetuates a really negative feedback loop and cycle. So oftentimes it's figuring out what can you actually get in terms of sleep duration consistently and try and shrink your opportunity down to that duration for now, because you want to improve sleep efficiency because you want to build confidence and traction and get good quality. And then you can move that, that time back if that makes sense. But you know, it's just, you know, not emphasizing too much. The window of opportunity is important, but if you're finding that with creating that window of opportunity, you're spending a lot of time not sleeping you need to work that window back a little bit. Cause some of it could just be, you're not at that point yet. And some of it could be that you just don't need as much as you think, right? You may not need eight or nine hours. So just yeah. as a, as a caveat. Um, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's what, especially it being in 2011, I'm sure there wasn't as readiness or ready available devices and stuff. And that's one thing that I was going to say that didn't talk about sleep, sleep uh, efficiency, which would have told us if half of them are sitting on their phones in bed or on, on the laptop or something like that, which you'd never know. So in terms of sleep hygiene, and something I talk a lot about is to try and create some sort of sleep hygiene procedures and um, to put down, I like to call it a wind down window where we do something or have a kind of an hour before bed. And that that's going to, and I'd love to get your views on this, but how I always think about it is that hour before bed is going to depict sleep quality or it can depict or have a have an implication on sleep quality a lot of other factors on top of that of course but if we don't tick the boxes during that hour potentially we can get it um that can have a negative effect on sleep so i'd love to get your your kind of um the steps you take with with your well first of all what does the the online sleep coaches pre-bed ritual look like um and then two have what do you do with or what, what kind of rituals or, or sleep hygiene procedures, completely personal dependent now, I understand, but with, with some clients, was there any kind of strange or funny methods that you've used before that have worked? Yeah, so, I mean, a couple things to unpack. I think, firstly, sleep hygiene, you know, is, is part of what I'm kind of fighting against in a way, and I think sleep hygiene is a bit of part of the problem because, you know, 
the, the example that I always give for this is, ex is comparing exercise and sleep. And of course, it's not exactly the same situation, but if someone were to come and see you for exercise, right, and they're coming for training and they have body composition goals and they want to improve how they move, et cetera, et cetera. And you just gave them a list of eight exercises, say, right? And you just printed them out or you sent them to them and you said, have fun, good, good luck, right? We wouldn't do that. We'd actually coach them through that process and teach them what they need to do, what they need to prioritize and focus on first. And I truly believe this is lacking in sleep because there's so many of these sleep hygiene lists and tips and strategies. Yep. And, you know, it's just, <clears throat> it's lacking individuality and context to that person, right? The, the aspect of coaching of, you know, where do I start? What should I focus on? You know, and then where do I go from there? And so, you know, one of the things that I've created for my course and, and my coaching process is having a hierarchy, a hierarchy to sleep optimization, almost this, this bucket system that has a hierarchy where we're trying to fill all of the buckets to get the best possible sleep and recovery. And those buckets also have a hierarchy of what you should focus on, right? Um, sure. With that being said, you know, of course, structuring a pre-sleep routine is something that is always a part of the, the coaching process in, in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, depending on the person, I usually like to start pretty small. I like to shrink the investment, right? And this is any aspect of coaching. We're not trying to completely change, you know, too many aspects of people's routines, especially when you get into like what they do at home and what they do with their partner in that last hour or two before bed. And these things are, are often personal and changing yep. those things are often difficult for people. So I usually like to, to, to shrink the investment, right? So, you know, a couple things that I think are super, super low hanging fruit and easy to implement, but also impactful that I've really used time and time again for myself and for clients are breath work and some form of journaling. Um, breath work, obviously very low entry point, very high compliance. There's not really much entailed there. Um, but especially leading into bed, we can use it to promote autonomic balance. We can get individuals in the right state and in, in the context of the nervous system. So whether it's just some paced breathing, using a breathing pacer or um, just breathing at a certain tempo, um, emphasizing nasal breathing is going to be a more, more parasympathetic driven. Um, when I talk about journaling, it's, it's gratitude not, journey. what's that? Gratitude journaling. Yeah. And that it can certainly be that it can really be whatever, whatever the individual wants. But I think more so I think of it as like a brain dump, right? Because if yeah. you think about oftentimes when we do the majority of our thinking, unfortunately is when our head hits the head hits the pillow, right? It's that's when we've had the first like quiet free moment to think about and download the day. And that's the last time we want to be thinking, right? What we have to do the next day and what, you know, what we didn't do the current day and, Yep. what we're worried about. And so I find that just having a, a window of time that's far enough away from sleep where it's not right on top of it, um, where you're just brain dumping and writing down some of your thoughts and worries and to do's is really, really impactful. Also, you know, having some of those potentially negative thoughts on paper, you know, I as a coach can then come back with that person or even for myself and restructure those thoughts a bit, right? Put them on trial, like I mentioned earlier of, you know, I was thinking this last night. Is that really the case? Probably not. How can I restructure it in a positive, um, in a positive way? You know, the other thing when we're thinking about pre-sleep routines, we have to go back to that circadian influence. We have to think about what natural circadian rhythms would ideally look like. So, you know, temperature is one that often gets left out. And, you know, you see a lot of things like the chili pad and bed jet and people 
um, thinking about the temperature in that way. It's not just at the onset of sleeping. Your core body temperature does need to drop a degree or two. So we should be thinking about dropping the temperature at time of sleep, but it should be gradual. Because if we think about the environment, as the sun is setting, the temperature is gradually going down a few degrees, right? Even in the summer, it's getting a bit colder. And so, you know, if you can take, say, three hours or so, subtract from when you're going to bed and start to drop the temperature temp. degree at a time, have it be gradual. Um, same goes for, for light, right? It doesn't, you know, a lot of times people know that light is impactful on sleep and they know blue light and all these things, but what they'll often do is they'll just go about their whole evening and bathe in all this artificial light. And then they'll take 15 minutes at the end where they keep a filter on their laptop or something like that. But again, we want it to be more gradual. So, you know, take a couple hours, turn off at least half of the lights in your house or apartment that you're not using. Um, you know, if you have the opportunity to have light dimming switches, those are great. Or, you know, red and, you know, more amber type lighting is going to be better in the evening um, and something to think about. And then, of course, you know, blue light is certainly impactful. Um, but the thing with blue light, too, is um, it's not just blue light, right? It's the most disruptive from a circadian perspective and on melatonin levels, but all light matters. If you're getting a lot of light, even if it's not necessarily blue light, it's still going to be potentially disruptive, right? So a lot of times people think because they have blue blocking glasses on, they can just do whatever they want, right? And that's just, that's just not the case either. So um, we have receptors yeah. in our skin as well, don't we? Yep, exactly. Um, you know, and then other circadian levers, you know, exercise and nutrition, of course, this is something I'm sure people have heard as well. You know, you want to allow a two to three hour window, maybe even a little bit more where you're not exercising or eating in those last couple hours. <laughs> um, and that's for a variety of different reasons, yep. including circadian perspective. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you can implement there. It's just, um, like I said, it's, it's having more systems and principles, shrinking the investment a little bit. Um, habit stacking is something that I use a lot too. So when we talk about shrinking the investment, for example, you know, hopefully most listeners are brushing their teeth in, in, at night, right? And so that's something pretty much everybody is doing. So instead of trying to completely change or add something in, just habit stack it, right? So when you brush your teeth, you do 10 breaths right after, right? You just stack it on something that it's already part of your existing routine. Um, and I find that that's nice. like easier, that. to, easier to make the, the changes. Um, and th the last thing is don't skimp on a post-sleep routine, right? And so, you know, you mentioned pre-sleep routine being a determinant of sleep quality. The, the p determinant of sleep quality starts in the beginning of the day, right? Because yeah. of that circadian perspective and how you ease into the day. So, you know, I would make the argument that a post-sleep routine is, is just as important, right? Yeah. So, you know, too many individuals just, you know, hit the snooze button, you know, rush into the shower and then rush into their day. Um, and this is, this is where the idea of sleep duration versus quality really comes into play as well, because a lot of times individuals will skimp on a pre or post sleep routine and getting themselves in the right state to sleep or start the day in favor of more sleep duration. And I would, I would make the argument that that's probably the wrong choice, right? So, you know, if you, even if you take the situation of like getting home late, maybe from a, you know a social outing or a work dinner or whatever it might be, a lot of individuals would say, oh, it's, it's midnight and I have to be up at you know, seven o'clock. So I have to make sure I get right into bed and try and get my seven hours. You're probably better served taking an hour to wind down, get yourself in the right state 
even if yes, you're getting less sleep, you're getting better quality and it sets you up to succeed better long-term. So I would say in those instances, prioritize quality and routines over duration, right? And this is where that idea of not focusing on duration is so important because when we focus only on duration, we place all the stress and emphasis on that um, and we lose sight of everything else. So that's a really, really interesting point. I think, again, if any clients are, are hearing this, I don't say it for any reason. If Nick says it, it must be right, okay? Having all those kind of, those those implemented, the kind of not eating, I always say 120 minutes before bed, um, blue light blocking glasses. But as you can see from the, the background here, we have kind of amber lights. Salt lamps as well are fantastic ones to have as well. Um, sure. And then having our guided breathing, hot showers. I think that you talked about um, kind of cooling the body temperature. So adding in some kind of hot showers that are going to allow ourselves to a cooling effect post. But I think that having something like yeah. that, that kind of um, potentially if we can, if we have the ability in our house to have that kind of a timer where we, where we slowly cool the temperature in the house as, as we kind of transition into the evening and then warm in the morning, I think. I think I might have got that from one of your posts actually on, on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the, the, the last thing I'll say is, you know, kind of going back to that having a hierarchy and prioritization system and sometimes sleep hygiene being part of the problem. You know, my coaching process, again, that hierarchy at the, the most foundational, the most important is behavioral. Yeah. So before I even get lifestyle is the last one, actually. Um, and it's not to say that those things don't matter. It just means that if I don't address the other variables first, it doesn't matter as much, right? Yeah. So if we take the example, like I mentioned earlier, having negative thoughts and perceptions and um, misconceptions or negative emotions around sleep, if those things exist and we don't address them, you know, limiting blue light is not necessarily going to drive the needle forward because your perception is your reality. And so if those things exist, we need to work on them first. We need to work on the behavior side of things first before you know, we try to make hygiene and technology improvements. And this is where part of the problem lies too, right? There's so many sleep products and aids and all these things that don't address what's the root cause. They're, they're either symptom management or they're just a Band-Aid, right? And so um, they can certainly make some improvements, but if we don't address the root cause, you know, it's much like anything, right? We have yeah. to address the root cause. <clears throat> I think the, the kind of nice way to think about what you're saying there is that Sleep doesn't just happen in that. If we're awake for 16 hours a day, it doesn't happen in that last hour. There's six, set 15 other hours that we need to try and um, fix first, I think is a nice way to think. And having that, uh, I talk about it, I'm sure everyone's bored of me talking about AM, kind of having morning routines and trying to get AM daylight exposure, getting circadian rhythm on, meditation in the morning, all these kind of things are going to help um, unlock the capabilities for a better sleep. But it, for the listeners out there, it doesn't all just happen in that what I've picked up from you now from, from this, that little point, it doesn't all just happen in that last window. We have to have that consistent box ticking across the 16 hours of the day to elicit a better response for sleep. Exactly. You know, and one other thing I'll say too, is cause I know a lot of, you know, people will be listening and I know a lot of times when I'm talking about these routines and all these things that you can do, it's, it's a bit overwhelming of like, you know, how can I now take, what is a 15 minute morning for me and, and construct it into an hour where I'm meditating and getting daylight. And, you know, and it's, I always say the best pre and post routines are the one that you're actually going to be able to do, right. And actually stick to. So, you know, start, start small, right. Add one aspect of the things that we're talking about into a routine 
and then build from there. And what you'll often find is that when you see those improvements, they're motivating, right? You want yeah. more, you feel a little bit better. You feel a little bit more energy, you slept better and it's all right, what can I do now? Right. Where can I, where can I move from there? Where as opposed to, and again, this is much like any other aspect of fitness and health, you know, with whether it's nutritional changes or exercise changes, as opposed to trying to restructure everything. And you may do it for a week or two or a month, but then, you know, it all fizzles out. So, yeah, I think min minimum effective dose is the, is the key term there. Just trying one thing and not trying to, me and myself and Nick have talked about what, 10, 15 different sleep hygiene practices. And I think the main thing as well that I took from you is that let's start off with one thing first and does it work? Does it improve yourself? If yes, keep it in and let's rinse that. And then we can potentially add another thing in. But finding something that's very easily, and I, I only put this up funny you said that um, the other the other week, and someone asked me what what what's the best way to go about a pre and bed pre and um, um, post bed ritual, and I said something that's easily achievable for you, but that you're going to be able to consistently do. I'm not, I could say all the ten things that we no, talked about here, but it's yeah. very unapplicable. If you told me if you told me to do all those fifteen things before bed, I'd be able to do it for a week, but not a year or not ten years. So exactly. something small that's going to make a positive change. Consistent. It's like that uh, that phrase: a perfect week is 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 not as good as a, as a great month. And having that consistently across the board is the way forward. Exactly. Um, so in terms of supplementation, I think you might have touched on it a bit there. How, what would your views on supplementation be? And is there anything that you you would, again, it's completely personal specific, but I'd just love to um, pick your brain on that. Is there anything that you've used in the past or would, would advise on, on a very low level? And is there a hierarchy to, to that as well? Or what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, they, they certainly can have a place. And I, of course, the main, the main point is that they are just a supplement, right? That you're not reliant on any form of aid, whether it's a prescribed aid or any form of supplement, right? You want to be able to induce sleep naturally on your own. Um, you know, with that being said, of course, there's a lot of different sleep supplements, a lot of different products and things that are out there. Um, melatonin is probably the most popular, right? The one that's yep. most talked about and where you see the most products. Um, a couple caveats to melatonin. The first is that the dosing tends to, to be incorrect. What I mean by that is most individuals are taking too much. Um, you know, and not that I'm recommending you take a specific amount. That's kind of outside of the scope of what any coach should be recommending. You take this specific amount, but you know, most individuals tend to be taking like five milligrams and even 10 milligrams in some instances. And that's just too much. Um, you really only need a milligram or two, depending on the situation. Um, and sometimes taking too much blunts your body's natural ability to produce melatonin on its own. Of course, that's the last thing we want. So, you know, a lot of times with melatonin, just in a day-to-day -day situation, a lot of the results tend to be pretty placebo, which is pretty, you know, pretty harmless and it's fine as long as you're not taking too much. Um, you know, the situations where melatonin is going to be really, really efficacious is in time travel, um, right? Mitigating jet lag and helping you to adjust to a new time zone quicker. Um, for older individuals, uh, often they have a blunted circadian rhythm. So sometimes melatonin can help to combat that. And that should be a conversation that they have with their physician and, you know, other ways that they can do it and really time things appropriately. But that can be an effective strategy. Um, also with melatonin, you know, I know at least here in the States, and I don't know if it's the same there, it's kind of the wild, wild west in terms of like the supplement industry, especially around melatonin. So they did one particular study 
where they were looking at all these different brands of melatonin and they were looking at the actual dosage versus what they were claiming on the bottle or on the package. And they found that it really varied, right? Anywhere from, I think it was around 80, 80, 85% less to 400% more. So, you know, being mindful of, of the brands and, you know, if you trust those brands and that's, I mean, that's just the supplement industry as a whole, but um, just being, being mindful of that. You know, in terms of other, you know, sleeping supplements and aids, there's a lot out there. You know, magnesium is one that gains a lot of traction and definitely has seen some results. Um, you know, things like valerian root and things that can promote relaxation or, you know, or a better alternative to taking something like, you know, Tylenol PM or Advil PM or something like that, that is, you know, not going to really be inducing as much of a naturalistic sleep. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot, a, a lot there, but the biggest thing is that it's only a supplement right? It's only an adjunct to you really addressing all those other elements of the hierarchy and prioritization first. You know, like I mentioned, lifestyle for me is last and supplements are a part of that. So it's more like one of the last things that I'll even address. Um, so. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's, it's one of those ones you can take all the supplements in the world, especially for even, even bringing it back to a muscle building perspective. If you take every single supplement in the world, but you don't do the work in the gym or train effectively, it's never going to work. And it's the same thing with, with sleep. Um, you can take all the supplements that you want, but if we're not ticking our, our boxes our, during our 16-hour day, um, we're never going to be able to um, elicit the response that we're after. Um, so in terms of sleep trackers, and I think this is such a, a big one at the moment, and I'd love to get your kind of insights as to what you make of them. And I know we've talked about trying not to get lost in the numbers, but let's talk about it from um, a perspective that we have good sleep quality and we're not getting overly stressed or anxious, anxious even about sleep. Where would you look to first? What would be the main, I know kind of whoops and, and aura rings that seem to be one of the best ones out there, but I wanted to get um, your insight into that. Where would you look to? Yeah, I mean, definitely in that situation where, you know, it's not insulting any other any of the other principles, yeah. you know, a few different options. And, you know, because of that situation, it's the overall accuracy is, is less important. So you can have a little bit of leeway. Um, in my experience, I found the Aura Ring to be the most accurate and the, the best option um, in terms of tracking. I don't have any affiliation with them or, or anything like that. It's just, you know, just based on yeah. what I've seen for myself and with clients, I just find that it's the best option. And I think, I think part of the reason for that is when we look at a lot of these trackers and we look at a lot of these bands and all these different options, a lot of them are trying to do too much. They're trying to crunch too much data and they're trying to be too many different things. Aura Ring is taking into account a lot of physiological variables, HRV, respiratory rate, all these things, but it's all in the context of sleep. So their focus is around sleep. And so for that reason, I think they do a really good job. Um, they're doing a lot of their own internal research. And I think because of that, they're really doing a good job around that. And they've gotten better and better. Um, but like I said, most important is those principles of, is it the right instance of using sleep trackers like we talked about earlier? But if you get to the point where, you know, it's okay to be using them, I think, uh, I think personally, I think Aura Ring is the best option. Yeah, I think that's, that's a kind of a, a big one at the moment and um, that and then we see a lot of the whoop as well i have a whoop myself i find it very good but the odd time you would get some sort of kind of kind of skewed rating sometimes like i, know, I remember the other day i just did not get a good sleep and first one in, in a long time now but 
the efficiency and the duration just was a bit it was a little bit skewed but i think mm. that that kind of um that's going to happen with regard with everything that you use no matter what it is it's always going to have that little bit of um deviation from from the reality but it's taking it with a pinch of salt and kind of using the that kind of we've touched on the point that i want to talk about after this was using the subjective with, along with the objective in, in particular and just just a little touch on that before we do finish up wrap things up um, what would be the kind of the main subjective measures that you do look for kind of i know you mentioned a couple like the the reaction time and stuff like that what would be those kind of those main subjective measures alongside with her objective measures from a nora ring let's say yeah so one thing that i you know that i didn't point out earlier that i sometimes use in my coaching process you know that is subjective of course is a sleep diary um, and this can be a good way to get a lot of that contextual information without the stress and pressure of data, right? So, you know, on a sleep diary, you do want to get an idea of estimated sleep duration, how much time um, an individual is in bed versus in sleep, you know, how many times did they wake up? Because all these things are important and you want to get information there. So I think that's one option and there's a lot of sleep diaries out there. I have a few in my course and there's a lot, um, there's a lot of them out there, but in terms of the subjective trackers, I find that <clears throat> mood, energy levels, um, and ability to focus are the big ones. Um, but what I will say is it's definitely contact, uh, it's person dependent, right? So yeah. because of the fact that you're trying to build this traction, I find that picking the things that resonate with you is, is more important, right? So if we're talking, you know, individuals that are athletic performers and performing at the highest level, and those aspects of performance are important to you, you know, absolutely be looking at those things and see the improvements in those, um, in those areas. But, you know, maybe it's just as more aspects of cognitive, uh, cognitive performance for someone else. So I think picking any subjective values that are important to you and that you really want to see okay. improve in your life. Okay. Interesting. And then the final question I'll ask you and any guest that comes on the show is going to be about our three non-negotiables in life. So something that you would use every day or three things that you use every day and you cannot live without and why? Oh, let's see. Three things that I can't live without. I'm, uh, I don't know, I guess without, with that, with not trying to sound um, cliche, I mean, I'm very, very much not a materialistic person. Um, so, I mean, for me, like the things that are just important every single day, again, this is going to sound super cliche, but I mean, some form of interaction and time with my daughter, um, you know, even if I'm traveling, it's, you know, it's on FaceTime or, um, but just that hour or a little bit that I get with my daughter, she's only 20 months now, um, is, is just really like the, the non-negotiable. And if I don't, don't get that, it impacts every aspect yep. of, um, of my life. Um, some form of movement right? Absolutely non-negotiable, even if it's a day that I'm not going to necessarily go and do conditioning work or do strength work, some movement flow or mobility work, some form of movement every, um, every single day. Um, I mean, those would be the big, those would be the big things that are really non, non-negotiable for me. I mean, I'm very, very much not a materialistic person. So. Nice. Very nice. So listen, thank you so much for taking time out of your, your very busy diary. Um, I know uh, we tried a couple of times to get you on and I'm glad that we did in the end. You've left some extremely good nuggets, nuggets of information for, for myself even. And I really just wanted to get you on to have a chat with you and pick your brain, um, but also for the listeners. So if you want to give the listeners a little bit of an insight where they can find you and then maybe a little bit about your courses that you do, I know are, are looking phenomenal at the moment and something that I might look into as well. Yeah, absolutely. So 
you, the biggest way I'm accessible and I'm always open for questions is via email. Um, online sleep coach at gmail.com. Pretty easy. Um, I can be found on all the major social media platforms as the online sleep coach, uh, specifically talking about the course on Instagram. It's sleep coach course. And it's also sleepcoachcourse.com. Um, yeah, I mean the, the course it's, it's really geared towards coaches and practitioners and how you can actually implement sleep into your coaching process. So obviously we cover very detailed anatomy and physiology of sleep, everything you need to know in terms of correlations. We really provide an assessment and screening process, how to know when and how to refer out to other professionals, right? What's outside of our scope. And then actually putting together a coaching process, the hierarchy, step-by-step coaching strategies. Um, the course also covers a lot of circadian biology, really diving more into circadian rhythms and um, all the variables that impact there, as well as overall concepts of recovery, right? Just general concepts of recovery and regeneration. So we cover active recovery, um, heart rate variability, breath work, just all aspects of, of how to really program and think about recovery. I'm also fortunate to have 16 or 16 or 17 content expert uh, presentations as well, spanning a variety of topics, everything from myofunctional therapy to nutrition to um, meditation and mindfulness to motivational interviewing. So um, yeah, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of material, a lot of, a lot of great stuff. And like I said, it's sleepcoachcourse.com. Lovely. Yeah. And, and Nick has a great Instagram as well, makes some nice graphics that really breaks down everything into very easily digestible um, information as well. So definitely get on and, and give him the follow and get onto one of his courses by the sounds. I think I might have to jump onto one myself after this, but listen, Nick, thank you so much for jumping on. I really, really appreciate you taking the time and we'll chat to you soon. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.